Welcome everyone to the Australian Bitcoin podcast. In this episode, you're listening to myself, Justin and Jeremy from Hardlock. Today, we'll be discussing recent global and local Bitcoin news. But before we start, a quick word from our sponsor. The Australian Bitcoin podcast is brought to you by hardblock.com.au. Hardblock is Australia's oldest Bitcoin only exchange. They have no added fees and are optimized for dollar cost averaging. Sign up to Hardlock today using the discount link in the description below to receive free auto-send batched Bitcoin withdrawals for six months. All right, Jeremy, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good, Justin. How have you been? Yeah, I can't complain. I was uh, just admiring the price of eggs recently in Bitcoin. It seems like they're trending towards zero. The uh, St. Louis Fed um, has been very kind to highlight that to people. Uh, I think they had a, a maybe a bit of a different idea uh, with a post they made just today, essentially comparing the price of eggs in Bitcoin to the price of eggs in US dollars just for the last year. And, you know, Bitcoin does look pretty volatile when you look at it on that basis. Unfortunately, they also made that data available for the last five to six years. So Bitcoin is naturally zoomed out and uh, it looks like eggs are at a complete flat line at zero compared to Bitcoin. Um, whereas if you look at them compared to US dollars, they're actually still pretty expensive. Yeah, I don't really think they thought that through very well, but <clears throat> quite interesting that they felt the need to talk about Bitcoin at all. Exactly right. And yeah. now literally on the St. Louis Fed website, you can find a chart that is denominated in Bitcoin. So we didn't even have to make it the unit of measure. The St. Louis Fed has made it the yeah. unit of measure for us. Brilliant. Yeah. They've effectively just le legitimized it, haven't they? Exactly. Yeah. Today, eggs, tomorrow, probably power, petrol, gold, and, and everything else in the world. And Russian oil. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Indeed. So... We've got a bunch of news today. A lot of it doesn't seem super related to Bitcoin. There is some Bitcoin news in here, but a lot of it's just like the general uh, state of the world in regards to inflation, energy. Uh, and look, anyone who is deep enough into Bitcoin realizes this all does triangulate back to Bitcoin. And, and Bitcoin is a solution for many of the things that we'll talk about today. Um, but I just want to give at least that, that bit of context. You'll probably hear a lot of news today that doesn't sound like Bitcoin news, but um, if you think hard enough, I, I believe it is as well. It all comes back to it in the end. Indeed. So we'll kick off with global news. Um, some actual Bitcoin news, of course, is uh, the New York uh, New York passed a proof of work mining ban. So what this means is for the next two years, uh, it could be closer to three years, but I believe it's only two to three, not too long. And it'll be re-reviewed at that point. No new entrants can join the mining market in New York. Now, any new entrants that do want to join or existing entrants also need to ensure that they're doing it in a way which is um, I'm not sure of all the different kind of stipulations that they have, but in the most kind of, in quotations, carbon neutral type way. Yeah. Now, miners that already have licenses there to mine are able to continue mining. So this doesn't actually mean people will need to move out of New York if they're there already mining Bitcoin. It just means that I would say in the next year or two, they'll need to start thinking about where do they, if they're going to expand or extend, where do they do that if it can't be New York? So this sounds like really, really bad news. It's a bit more nuanced than that. Um, but overall, I would say it is still relatively bad news for probably people that are trying to start mining businesses in New York anytime yes. soon. Yeah, it sounds like a bit of a um, token gesture. To, and I think we're going to talk about this. The politicians know that energy is going to be one of the topics of this year. And they're almost um, proactively, you know, trying to put some blame on Bitcoin. And um, But, you know, the fact that they're allowing the existing users to um, to keep going means it's, it's a bit of a soft law, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. My understanding as well is that this has gone through their uh, their equivalent of a parliament, but it still needs to go to the governor 
who can now either agree with all the debates and agreement that's happened so far, or he can veto it and decide that actually, no, it's not going to be implemented. So I don't think that that has happened yet. Uh, but the way that this is being reported on sounds like it's more or less a done deal. Uh, this was like an argumentative point over the last few months, but now it seems like there's quite a bit of consensus in quotations yep. uh, in terms of the parliament over there, which means that I would say this is probably going to happen. And then it just is a matter of, uh, yeah, how do people navigate the waters over the next couple of years? Yeah. And, you know, very interesting to watch the kind of state level competition and country level competition because um, they may well do that and then Texas might go, come, come over here then. And exactly. <laughs> do you yeah. mining here in a friendly state? Because it's certainly not slowing Texas down. No. Uh, I don't have a lot of news about Texas, particularly in this uh, podcast, but we've talked about them plenty of times before. And there is no absence of news about Texas positioning themselves as like the hub of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, especially not just in America, but the rest of the world. Yeah. So I think there's just going to be if there's miners of Bitcoin in New York, just an exodus to places like Texas or Wyoming and in other friendly states. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see that game theory play out. You're Definitely. Right. Related to this, the Biden administration at a federal level is going to be considering Bitcoin mining regulation. Uh, I should probably put in brackets again here as well, because it feels like this type of news has come out quite regularly from the Biden administration, talking about digital asset frameworks, um, either banning or regulating or adopting. Uh, there's always sort of talk about this kind of stuff. And and this is my understanding is more or less just what's the word, not sanctioning, but like a, approving some sort of investigative process that can lead to a report that might lead to some decisions being made about Bitcoin mining throughout all of America. So it's all kind of very vague, diffuse news. I guess what the Biden administration is saying is that this is going to be one of their focuses, uh, but it doesn't sound negative, doesn't sound positive. It just sounds like they're saying we need to explore this more and come up with like a federal level suggestion or, or guidelines in terms of what other states should be doing. Yeah, it's all quite it's quite interesting because um, what we're talking about is a computer just doing a, a hash, right? Just mm -hmm. doing some computation, and apparently you. You're not allowed to do that, but you are allowed to just watch a silly YouTube video, which is some other computation. Yeah, and you, can, you yeah. can use closed dryers too. <laughs> yeah, you could use closed dryers to not even achieve anything. Um, or you could just use your miner to create heat and dry your clothes. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. So and it uses less than the closed dryers as well, all in existence. Yeah. So I, it's it's quite funny watching this stuff come out because there's so much subtlety that, um, and this is why I say it's not really about the outcome, it's more about the headline. A lot of the power that's used um, is not available for other people to use. It's stranded power. So you could say, oh, we're going to stop Bitcoin mining to save the power. But then um, that power is not available for other users because it's in the wrong location. That's right. So I I don't really know um, why they're doing it. Is it, is it just to try and... Um, you know, have an enemy for when there's no power in the future. Or I hope it's not that, but we'll see how it plays out. True. Either that or to sort of placate the critics of Bitcoin mining at the moment, maybe to come out with a, a more rigorous report to say, well, this is now from the government and we have determined that actually this isn't detrimental to the environment. And there could be some benefits here because we see quite frequently uh, places like the BTC or the Bitcoin policy, um, which is like an institute that comes out with uh, kind of FUD busting articles and, and guidelines. We've also seen like the Bitcoin Mining Council, yep. as well as a lot of independent researchers look into things like Bitcoin mining to say like, this is actually a really beneficial thing for the environment, for yep. renewables, uh, for grid stability, for grid expenses, for the usual retail uh, um, participants or, or buyers. So it, it, I would love to see this being a government sanctioned or sponsored uh, way of saying, actually, we've looked into it and maybe the naysayers or the critics should uh, quieten down a little bit. But 
maybe that's me just being delusionally optimistic. I think we'll have to see what comes out of their report. Well, it'd be it'd be equivalent to um, Australia say banning gold mining because the trucks and the miners use diesel fuel. Yeah, but they're not doing that, right? That's right. So maybe they're not threatened by gold, but maybe they are threatened by Bitcoin. Indeed, yeah. yeah. That's the other way to read it, I think. Well, interestingly, you uh, you shift to a completely different continent and there's uh, very different things happening in regards to Bitcoin mining. So Kenya's largest producer of electrical energy intends to deliver their excess geothermal energy to Bitcoin miners. So their geothermal energy in uh, the region of Kenya is estimated to be above 14,000 megawatts. Uh, with 10,000 megawatts located along the Rift Valley circuit. So over 80% of that power is renewable energy. And at the moment, quite a large portion of it is excess. And so rather than having that continue to go to waste, it's going to be sent to Bitcoin miners instead or made available to Bitcoin miners. And at the moment, there is no large Bitcoin mining uh, occurring in Africa, even though uh, the story that we're talking about right now with Kenya is actually pretty similar with a lot of other uh, areas in Africa as well. So I would imagine this might be the first of many stories to come. Yeah, I mean, it's a great way for countries that have the right resources to export power, essentially. So previously, um, they might encourage like aluminium smelting or that type of heavy industry that required uh, a lot of power. Now they can just get Bitcoin miners and not stuff around with all the ex you know, actual shipping of the um, of the minerals and so on. So this is fantastic to see. And I think what's really heartening for me is to see some of these countries that are not, you know, like world leaders starting to have Bitcoin in their balance sheets. And you think that's really going to lift them up over the next decades. Definitely. And again, kind of plays into that game theory of their neighboring countries doing the same. Yep. And then perhaps uh, Western or, or developed countries looking at it and going, well, why, why are we leaving this behind? Or why are we being left behind in this race, essentially? Yeah. And if you even sort of look at it historically, you know, Africa was somewhere where Europeans and, and North Americans went to like plunder the resources, take the wealth back home. Now they're using their own resources and keeping the money in their own country. And I think that's just, you know, such an amazing thing that Bitcoin is able to do for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Alex Gladstein has a lot of work in this space uh, talking about so many of the African nations that are still under the, what is it called? The, uh, the colonial franc and the I want to say austerity measures, but I don't think that's the correct term, but the kind of the, the restrictions, rules, yeah. the restrictions yeah. about saying like, okay, you've got a lot of great raw materials, yeah. but we don't want you producing anything yourself. You can give the raw materials to us. Yeah. We'll produce it for you and then we'll sell it back to you. Yeah. Those sort of things, I would imagine uh, Bitcoin mining is going to allow some ability to route around that, to turn those raw resources into something, into the final product, basically, which is money. Um, and whether that is done by the state or done by private companies like hiring out to uh, to other Bitcoin companies. Either way, it's putting the power um, back into those nations, I would say, quite literally the power yeah. back into those nations. Yeah. And it allows them to bypass their currency, which is where the restrictions are. True. So if they can then import oil, say, with Bitcoin, then they've completely bypassed all of the restrictions that have been holding them back. So that's it. That's why all of these topics, we're talking about energy a lot today mm. and inflation, it, all, it actually comes back to Bitcoin in, in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. Bitcoin is reducing the the intermediaries really the, the middlemen or the middle middle people basically and not just the financial system but in terms of a lot of other uh, economic systems as well very cool all right well we'll move on to inflation now so <laughs> janet yellen says she was wrong about the path inflation would take which is an interesting um thing for her to say because she's if you don't know she's the head of the treasury in america mm -hmm. um you would think she would understand a little bit about inflation um but i think it's pretty like to me uh, she must have known, right? She could not have known that this was coming because mm. I knew it. I wrote about it in November 
uh, and I don't spend that long researching it, but I listen to podcasts where if you just look at how it, um, like what costs it, what costs, uh, where they come from, um, energy and so on, it's pretty clear that it was going to be a problem. Um, over in Europe, um, their inflation and their CPI inflation, so consumer inflation has hit 8%, which is their highest level ever, bearing in mind the Eurozone currency is about um, 23 years old. Um, and the head of, of their central bank, Christine Lagarde, says she's not phased, expects it to come down in due course. Mm. But I could bet a lot of money that it's not going to do that because uh, we talked a little bit about in uh, previous episodes about PPI versus CPI. So PPI is the producer index, so it's the, the factories and the suppliers, what their costs are doing, and CPI is the consumer. So what we pay as consumers to buy products in the supermarket, for example. So the CPI in Europe is 8%. The PPI in the Eurozone, uh, it actually came in under the forecast, which was 38%. It came in at only 37%. Jeez. And the well, energy. That's a nice shallow victory. Yeah. <laughs> and the energy component uh, of PPI was up 99%. That's crazy. Um, and, you know, you would normally see this flow through in a few months. Mm. Um, if you actually exclude energy, the PPI is only up 16%, which is still double the CPI. Mm. But when you see these large numbers and you say, oh, it's only 16. So, yeah, it's – I kind of think these these leaders, they can't just go out and say, oh, inflation is actually a massive problem. Everyone should panic because everyone will panic. Yeah, They'll buy everything they can. They'll buy gold and Bitcoin and the currencies will be trashed. So they have to keep up this charade for as long as they can and eventually the emperor will have no clothes when we – Go exactly. to the petrol station and petrol's four dollars, and you're like, "Wait a second! You told me inflation was five percent." Yeah, or it was going away at some. <laughs> yeah, point. it's going to yeah. go down. Why is this? Why is my petrol doubled, and now I can't afford to drive to work? That's it. I think if you spend long enough uh, in Bitcoin, you start to experience frequently that bittersweet moment of central planners saying, "Like no one saw it coming," or it's, yes. it's different to what we thought. Uh, but when you've got so many people repeating with good evidence behind it the same message in like the Bitcoin space. It's hard to, sometimes it's hard to hear that, even though you're, you're glad to hear central planners come out and say, actually, it's different than what we thought. It's still very diff difficult to hear it because it's, it's kind of frustrating as well when uh, yeah, Bitcoin predicts things sometimes, well, like 10, 15 years out <laughs> and everyone else is sort of slowly catching up, but very reluctant to admit that they're catching up. Yeah. And it also, I think it raises the importance of that don't trust verify mentality. Absolutely. So when you're hearing something in the news, go and look at the raw data yourself and mm. Uh, a lot of it's free, like trading economics has a lot of free data. That's where I got the PPI figure from. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, in Turkey, that is actually even worse. Turkey's inflation is 73%, mm. which sounds outrageous. But to be honest, if Europe's energy is up 99%, then Makes sense, you know, it? it's probably not um, not something that's going to be unusual, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so I think this is, yeah, we're just starting to see the kind of the leaders have to try and reconcile the messages they've got to say now versus what they've been saying and it's it's hard it's hard for them to do that because they've been stringing a few lies along the way exactly right and and from what uh because i saw the the yellen video as well as the the christine there was a christine lagarde video talking about things like inflation and the balance sheet of central banks and, and how is it ever going to come back down and interestingly although they're saying you know we didn't foresee this uh it's gotten worse than what we thought and it's going to go on for a while when you look at their actual official predictions they're still predicting that inflation is going to essentially plateau and then just like drastically drop back down to where it was yeah there's this really uh quite hilarious but also probably very depressing chart of the uh the eu inflation and it's just going kind of parabolic up and to the right uh but then 
in little dotted lines, it also says what is their prediction, um, as in the, the EU uh, staffers, what's their prediction of inflation going to be? And it's almost not like every month or two they give another prediction. And the prediction is always the same. It's like everything will level out and go just like flat to the right, and then it'll kind of drop all the way back down to the baseline and then kind of continue on. But you just see this chart just going <laughs> up and to the right with all these little dotted lines just yeah. like coming off and falling off, but they never happen. And interestingly, the most recent uh, suggestion or the most recent prediction was exactly the same thing. Yes. So we think it's going to kind of flatten out at this around, you know, 8% or whatever, and then gradually come back down. But I, I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately, because things aren't changing a whole lot in regards to monetary expansion, um, even the supply chain issues. Uh, so it doesn't make sense that things would just suddenly become cheaper again. No. And it's almost, I'm almost surprised that they're even publishing this PPI data. Like mm. there's a, the German equivalent of the ABS is called the derstatis.de. That's the website. Mm -hmm. um, and you go on there and in the front page of it, uh, or the page I was on, says energy 87%. And I, I'm almost shocked that the German government is allowing that to be made public. Like yeah. I, I would have thought we're getting to the point where they might think about even hiding some stuff away. That's right. Or making yeah. it a bit harder to find than just a Google search. Yeah, exactly right. Because there's all sorts of ways that they can obfuscate things on the same website and say, well, it's made available. You just have yeah. to know the right password word to or search for. Yeah, or, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, and and it's, unfortunately, I think it's even going to go higher from here. We'll talk about that later in Australian Energy. But yeah, so I'll hand back to you for Russian news. Absolutely. I, I guess just one final point on that is it's always interesting when you see the narrative starting to shift and uh, in trying to read between the lines and say, well, why aren't they making it more difficult to find? Um, why is the St. Louis Fed coming out and pricing eggs in Bitcoin and yes. then keeping all the data there for people to go back beyond a year? Like, I don't know. It feels like I don't think they're embracing it and, and doing something totally productive with the narrative of saying maybe inflation is a thing. But it definitely seems that there's a shift. It's no longer about inflation isn't happening or it's yep. going to be around for a little while. It definitely seems that they're being more realistic. But I, yeah, I, I just don't know exactly why that is. But whenever I see a narrative start to shift, like really pivot hard like that, yeah. it makes me go, like, why? Why is that the case? It's not happening accidentally. No, definitely not. because it's all happening at the same time with central banks kind of everywhere saying it. But, yeah, and I'm yeah. sure they spent hours in a committee deciding exactly the words to say. It. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, because you have to control that market psychology when making decisions like this yeah. in terms of the narrative. So, well, watch this space. For sure. So in regards to Russia, uh, this again sounds like repeat news, but this is uh, new news. So Russia's Ministry of Finance is actively considering the use of digital currencies, uh, particularly Bitcoin, uh, in terms of international payments. And so that was uh, one of the high up government officials in the Ministry of Finance reporting uh, very recently. So we know, we've reported on this uh, before at least, when there was talks from the Russian central bank saying that they wanted to uh, ban Bitcoin including Bitcoin mining and transactions and holding it. And then, of course, the Russian Ministry of Finance and Vladimir Putin himself had come out to say, well, that's not the case. They're looking at something that's going to be a bit more amicable and some agreement where it can be used mm -hmm. because they have a strategic uh, advantage in regards to Bitcoin mining, especially. And so this is not totally new news in that regard, but it is a new conversation that's come up and they've sort of doubled down on what they said previously. So I'd say that's relatively good news for Bitcoin uh, and makes sense that they're still considering it as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have thought it was a no-brainer. I was curious why they put digital currencies, plural, yes. um, why they felt the need to do that and not just Bitcoin. Because you just can't imagine them, you know, buying a billion dollars of oil with Ethereum and then you pay like lots of gas and it doesn't work. Exactly <laughs> yeah. right, yeah. And like the, the, the transaction doesn't go through. And it's a bit different with a government. They can't just go to Binance and exchange it for something else. They essentially have to exchange it for commodities or mm. some other import. Um, 
So you would think it would just be Bitcoin. Like that's the only one that's really going to work for that application. But, that's right. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. Why didn't they just say Bitcoin outright rather mm. than digital currencies? That's true. Whether that, I don't know, is that alluding to like a, you know, a sovereign digital currency or a yeah. bank digital currency or... Do they, do they just not know enough about the space yet and are still thinking like maybe there's Bitcoin and a few others that could be viable until they've done the research and then it, you know, they realize it's mm. just Bitcoin? Yeah, it's true that there's multiple ways you can interpret that, can't you? Another bit of interesting news that came out of Russia. So this was, uh, I don't have, don't have the direct quote here, but this was quoted from Vladimir Putin uh, in regards to some of the, uh, I say some of the, but all of the rising prices in America, so the inflation, as well as the EU having uh, both an energy crisis and an overall inflation crisis at the same time. And of course, uh, both the US and the EU are primarily blaming uh, Russia and Putin. It's been called like Putin's price hike yep. and it's all about the war and, and that's the main reasons for it. I have a different opinion in terms of why it is. And I think it's been brewing for the last, well, probably like 50 to 100 years, essentially. Um, and it sounds like Vladimir Putin feels the same way. So he has been quoted as saying that the US inflation problem is due to them printing 38% of currency over the last two years. And the EU inflation and energy crisis problem is actually related to the unreliable energy policies that they've stuck to over the last couple of decades. That sounds pretty realistic to me. Um, and it, it, I just love the fact that the quiet part is now being said out loud. Uh, I guess when there's enough uh, adversarial kind of conflict, you are probably going to get more hit with doses of reality from one side or the other. It just <laughs> depends on who you're going to get the doses of reality from. But it certainly sounds like now Russia is uh, is talking a bit of truth in terms of uh, monetary inflation, uh, in terms of uh, energy security and how energy policies can lead to that or not. And obviously not wanting to take the blame for the current issues with energy and inflation throughout the world. What he doesn't tell you is that Russia actually had a massive influence on European energy policy. So mm. the, the former chancellor of Germany became the chair of the, uh, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Mm. So there's obviously a fairly large conflict of interest there. Yes. And uh, I mean, Russia themselves, I believe, did a, a propaganda campaign against um, fracking of um, shale gas mm. in Western Europe, which is one of the reasons why they didn't um, go down that path, even though America did, uh, which is now why they're reliant on Russian gas. Yeah. So it, I think it is true what he's saying, but also I think he influenced the policy. That had something to play <laughs> yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah, true. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always that... Uh, well, I guess maybe people don't like it being called this, but it's like a cold war really, isn't it? It's, it is. It's like a trade war or a policy war yes. or something along those yeah. lines of just nudging things in a certain direction and then becomes almost like this runaway train after yeah. a while. Yeah, I think they've been planning this for about a decade. So. Yeah, yep. Well, institutional news, Fidelity, which manages $4.5 trillion in US dollars worth of uh, both things like pensions and other assets for both individuals and institutions, they're now going to double their headcount for their Bitcoin and digital asset division, which is uh, interesting news. Uh, anyone who's been kind of following the news about Fidelity recently would know that Fidelity was also the first uh, asset management company to allow people to invest in Bitcoin up to 20% worth uh, in their 401ks, which is just the American version of superannuation pensions. Um, and Fidelity is also the same company that about I want to say three to six months ago, released the, the Bitcoin first report, which compared Bitcoin on a few different uh, monetary characteristics or properties to things like Ethereum um, and a, sort of a bunch of other shit coins to essentially say, like, it's really just about Bitcoin. None of these things hold a candle to it. So Fidelity is obviously like pushing far forward mm. with their uh, their product offerings, staff that they can to, uh, to service those product offerings and their belief in Bitcoin overall. 
Yeah, and I think you know, fantastic for Bitcoiners. Um, to uh, you can see that there's going to be this industry that will be willing to employ them if you want to go work for a large company. Mm. Um, so the apart from just investing in Bitcoin, it's worth investing in yourself to understand Bitcoin. Uh, because, you know, when we go to the meetup and we've tried to hire people, very few people actually understand Bitcoin outside of buying it on an exchange. Mm. Not not everyone even takes it off the exchange. Like they possibly have never done a on-chain transaction. So if you, you know, if that's somewhere you want to get into, you can see that, you know, probably all around the world, there'll be jobs for people who understand Bitcoin. Um, so the more you learn about it, running nodes and um, maybe a lightning node even, yeah, that, that's all going to be, um, you know, very valuable knowledge in Absolutely. the near future. I think it's an incredible opportunity because there is not many industries that are just budding like Bitcoin is, but have such a, well, I want to say a long term, but we're talking quite literally thousands of years here, potentially. So as a potential industry, as a technology, um, as a culture, as, as all the things that kind of Bitcoin consumes, to be able to get up to speed probably within like six to 12 months of like hard study. I don't know if there's many things that are like that in the world. Yeah. You know, you know, most industries have been around for hundreds or thousands of years. So to become an expert, even if you're an expert, there's always going to be a bunch of stuff that you don't know. Whereas yeah. I feel like you could probably catch up on the last 13 years of Bitcoin relatively quickly and there's some great resources for it. And you would be in that, you know, top 1% or 10% in terms of knowledge. Easy. And as Easy. this industry continues to grow, there's going to be an over-demand and under-supply of, of people with that knowledge. So yeah, get involved, experiment, break things you know, you're not going to break Bitcoin, but like yeah. <laughs> experiment and break things yourself. But then you, you learn so much from that and talk about it because it just yeah, it becomes contagious, I think, when you get involved in that way. Yeah. And if you want to break stuff, there's a test network. So Absolutely. you can, yeah. you know, break it there. And not lose things. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> yeah. a good point. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is um, the people who know the most who have been in the longest are wealthy and they don't want a job. That's so, it, yeah. you know, you're, you're not competing with those people. So, yeah, if you do want to get into Bitcoin, um, yeah, just teach yourself as much as you can about it. Very true. So another bit of institutional news here is that Goldman Sachs is reportedly looking into integrating their services uh, with the Bitcoin and generally the crypto exchange uh, FTX. So Goldman Sachs, um, I think I probably made the joke that they've been a bit bipolar in the last podcast episode because they come out and say Bitcoin's going to zero, Bitcoin you know doesn't compete with gold, and then all of a sudden they're offering more Bitcoin products and they offer the, the first Bitcoin back loan and they think Bitcoin's going to 250,000 and there's all these various things that te seem to sort of oscillate, uh, probably correlated with the Bitcoin price as yep. well, I would say. Yep. But again, it's more a matter of watch what they do, not what they say. Yes. And if they're now starting to look at what I would consider to be a, a very large uh, merger is probably not the right word, but integrating services with FTX, yep. which is a huge digital asset exchange that spells good things for the space, I would say. Yeah. So it sounds like they're kind of outsourcing their custody instead of using, say, Gemini, that FTX is going to do all the the Bitcoin stuff for mm. them and just integrate with their accounts, I guess. And yeah, I mean, it's not really adding a lot of value. You could just send your money to FTX, but it's interesting that they obviously the customers are coming to them and um, saying, I want to buy Bitcoin and they're trying to figure out how to do it quickly. That's right. I guess another little tangent news from here is that very recently, uh, the I guess you'd say the founder and the CEO of FTX, um, his name is SBF, or that's yeah. the initials yeah. of his name at least. He had complimentary things to say about Bitcoin, as he probably would, but then he also kind of left out things like the Lightning Network mm. when he was asked by uh, a reporter in terms of, you know, what, what's Bitcoin's utility, what are some of the risks? And I can't remember what exactly he's proved. It might have been Ethereum or maybe another coin or other like kind of group of coins, yeah. but he sort of brought it back to like Bitcoin's great, but it's not that quick for transactions. Uh, of course, everyone sort of smashed him in the comments of those videos and, and quotes saying like, what about Lightning Network? It's near instant and near free and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know, this is good news, but at the same time, 
it would be nice if there was a more consistent message from someone like SPF who would probably know Bitcoin well enough to realize there is something like the Lightning Network. It's a great payment rails. Uh, it's not just a store of value. But yeah, I guess a bit of tangent news to keep in mind. This is sort of some good news watered down with like a bit of recent frustrating bad news as well. Mm. I guess he's never going to be a Bitcoin maxi given how many shit coins he sells. So. Indeed, yeah. There's some incentives there to, yep. uh, to keep your mind open to all the other like blockchain tech, I guess. Yeah. Yes. So a top 30 bank in Panama called Tower Bank has declared themselves, sorry, has declared themselves to be Bitcoin friendly. All this means is they're saying to customers that if they want to, uh, you know, have things like Bitcoin backed loans or trade in Bitcoin, that they will either have those facilities uh, available soon or they're open to exploring them. So I would say this is a relatively good thing. Panama is, a, um, my understanding, is a, still a very privacy uh, preserving uh, country to have funds in or businesses set up in. Tower Bank being a top 30 bank makes me think like, well, this is, you know, it's good news, but I don't know. It's not like the top one bank or the top no. three bank or the top 10 bank. It's like a top 30 bank, which makes me think they're position number 30 with the way headlines often go. But look, directionally, still good. Mm. How many banks are there in Panama? I don't know. <laughs> I know. You would think like 30, just they seem like relatively small countries. So yeah. I'm sure they have probably a central bank or they're linked in with a central bank somewhere. But yeah, perhaps they have a lot of different private banks. Maybe top 30 is actually quite you know impressive if they have 300 banks for all I know. Could be. Either way, Tower Bank. Bitcoin Maybe friendly. not quite as impactful as Goldman Sachs, but yeah. Very, very true. Yeah. I guess when you take this all uh, on, on the whole, basically, when you look at like Fidelity, Goldman Sachs, uh, now Tower Bank, uh, there was like Nomura Bank in our previous podcast, yeah. which is like Japan's, uh, I want to say like their, one of their largest digital banks. Um, these sort of things are all, yeah, directionally good news. Yeah. I mean, like we, we joke, but you start small. And then someone else copies and then it grows. And then all of a sudden, the number one bank in Panama is doing it. And exactly. then everyone's doing it. Yeah, the whole so country true. of Panama is running on Bitcoin. And I think we are, we're kind of like our perception is corrupted by where we are at the moment. Like yes. if we were back a year ago, five years ago, something like Tower Bank or even just the previous news before that, Goldman Sachs or Fidelity, that yeah. would just be mind blowing news. Whereas now it's like, ah, oh, well, top 30. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well, what about when's top three going to happen? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> So I guess uh, sort of a good segue is that uh, Block Inc., which used to be called Square, uh, released a Bitcoin Knowledge and Perceptions report, which was from a survey of about nine and a half thousand people. They partnered with another organization uh, to undertake that survey. It was a global survey as well. And it's all about what do people understand about Bitcoin and what are people's perceptions about Bitcoin? So I would say check that whole report out because it was very useful. And I, I really love their... Um, I don't know what you call it, their branding, I guess. They've just got a really nice aesthetic to it. But to me, there was probably a few takeaway points that I'll maybe just extract because it's about, about 12 pages long or so. But essentially, the majority of people that were surveyed see promise in Bitcoin, uh, particularly to bring about a more equitable economy. It was also found that Bitcoin stands out far greater than other cryptocurrencies uh, with something like twice as many people knowing about it and trusting it compared to Ethereum. And Ethereum was like the biggest standout of the other cryptocurrencies, of course. Mm -hmm. There was a takeaway that education is key. So the more people have knowledge about Bitcoin, the more optimistic they feel about it and the more likely they said they would be to participate in it. And so when there was a comparison between Western developed countries versus, uh, I guess, other and, and developing countries, it was found that Western countries saw Bitcoin more as an investment and a way to get ahead financially, whereas uh, developing countries saw it more as a way to gain 
a bit more equitability in the economy, but also to help with things like international remittances. Yeah. So there's sort of different reasons that people get into Bitcoin depending on, well, I guess, the economic situation in their country, um, as well as culturally probably what they've experienced in the past in terms of, you know, corruption or expensive intermediaries, uh, that sort of thing. So I, I would say all of the findings make a whole lot of sense to me. I guess with my sort of statistician hat on, I would say like a sample of nine and a half thousand people that's trying to represent eight billion people in the world, not a representative sample at all. You're also going to be recruiting people into this that are probably very interested in Bitcoin. Yes, that was my thoughts. And the people that are not interested in Bitcoin or have negative things to say about Bitcoin, well, look, sometimes you get those people join the survey too because they want to yeah. have their, yeah. uh, you know, their voice heard. But a lot of the times they will just opt out and not want anything to do with it. So... This is an overwhelmingly positive survey, but at the same time, yeah, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, for sure. So the big news here in Australia, if you've been following, is the um, price of natural gas just um, went crazy last week. Mm. Um, I thought I'd just do a little bit of a, a deep dive into this because it does have some pretty big implications for the whole economy and potentially for, for Bitcoin as well. So if you're not familiar with natural gas, because most people wouldn't be, um, it is a gas. It's very hard to transport. So it's the way it's transported is through a pipe. Or if you want to ship it somewhere, you actually have to cool it down to make it into a liquid and then they put it into the ship and mm -hmm. then they send it off. So if you have natural gas in one place, it doesn't mean it's very useful because if there's no pipe between those two places, then you can't transport it. So, for example, West Australia has their own natural gas network, which does not connect to the eastern coast of Australia. Um, so the eastern coast, um, basically South Australia, all the way up to Brisbane or actually in fact, northern Queensland, I think, is connected by pipes. And the export, as I understand it, happens out of um, Queensland. So last week and um, here and in Victoria, and maybe New South Wales, was freezing cold. And so I don't know about you, but our heating um, usage went up mm. probably 10 times compared to the previous week. And so what happened, because there was no solar power because it was cold and cloudy, um, everyone had to use uh, electricity from the grid. And there's been some coal plants that have had shortages of coal. Like they can't get enough coal to... Um, run their plants at capacity, partly I think because there were floods previously in New South Wales, but also there's labour shortages. Uh, and then some of those plants have, are really old and they're just not running it where they should be because mm. they haven't been maintained because they're just getting old. So there's a shortage of coal-powered electricity. There's no sun. Wind, you know, like if it's windy, great, but you don't know if when it's windy when you like want to turn your heater on. Mm. The only thing left is natural gas. And uh, in Victoria, they use that to heat their homes, not so much in South Australia. Um, and so the price, the wholesale price went from, I think it's in gigajoules or something, but went from $10 to $800, like a spike straight up. Uh, so then the regulator came in and capped it at $40, which is already a four times increase, which mm -hmm. is massive, right? Um, but as you, you're already laughing, because if you cap the price, the only possible outcome is shortages. Yes. Because if you're not telling the market the real price is whatever it is, 100 or who knows, people who wouldn't use it at 100, but would at 40, will continue to use it. Exactly. And so too much will get used. Um, and then you'll hear lots of talk about how they're going to try and ban exports and so on to keep the, the gas domestically and so on like that. But that even if that happens, it wouldn't come into effect till January, which is after winter. Winter is when we need it. And I believe, according to the paper, the pipeline that connects Queensland down to the southern states is at capacity anyway. Mm. So it's not like they could just divert the gas because the pipeline's at capacity. And, you know, those private companies are going to try and get the best price for their gas. So if the international price is higher than the local price, it's hard to convert because international prices in 
British, it's like a million British thermal units or something. There's like three different metrics. It's really annoying because you can't just easily compare them. I wonder if they, <laughs> did they do that on purpose. I, no, I think it's just a standards thing, you know, like pounds and metrics. Gotcha, yeah, yeah okay. just like it sort of evolved. Um, so the upshot is at the moment, the gas prices seems to have quadrupled, <laughs> certainly to a maximum. Mm. So then you have to think, okay, what does that mean? Well, the, what are, the price I'm quoting is the spot price. So that's the price if you want to go buy some gas, not that you would do that. But if you an, uh, a power plant wanted to go buy some gas right now, that's the price they would pay at that time. Mm. Now, many companies will have fixed their price. And the reason that they would do that is because they would give certainty to the supplier or the, the you know mining company that's having to um, go and source that gas and say, oh, we'll pay you this fixed price for 10 years. And that gives you the certainty to get a loan to go and drill for gas uh, because we're going to give you this constant um and they're going to get a really good price to do that. Mm. But anyone who's using the spot market to source their gas, their costs have possibly just quadrupled. So I'm hearing stories in um, in Adelaide about factories that use a lot of energy moving to working on the weekend because the power price is lower on the weekend. That makes sense. Um, so just, you know, like looking at the actual um, demand for power and working when it's cheaper. Mm. Uh, but then also be thinking about ourselves, like as consumers, um, we generally have a fixed, like your power bill is generally a fixed rate for 12 months. Then after that 12 months, it resets. So this kind of this flow on effect, well, I guess it, it takes time for this actual price at wholesale level to turn in price into prices at retail level. So mm -hmm. if it's a company that's making something, they're not, that product's probably not going to the shelf for a couple of months. The price increase may not be felt for a couple of months. Um, if you're on a fixed um, electricity contract, legally they shouldn't be able to increase your price for however long it is i've actually yeah. just fixed mine for another 12 months because i can't believe they let me do it but i did um, <laughs> i'm looking into it after yeah. you brought it up too yeah so the problem though if you're in the middle so your your cost of spot gas has gone up but you've got a fixed price that you have to sell it for you're getting squeezed mm. and so your your margin and your cash flow is getting squeezed and eventually you, you will go bankrupt so what i see happening is two things that are very concerning one is the the retailers are going to get squeezed. Their costs are going up. Possibly the price they charge can't. So either they might just call for force majeure and say you're all on variable contracts now. Mm. Um, or there'll be shortages. Or they'll go bankrupt and the government will probably bail them out because they're essential. Yeah. But the other concerning thing is any industries that require a lot of energy to make things like concrete and steel and, you know, that sort of heavy industry, um, they're going to be out of, like, they're not going to be able to run. Yeah, like when the when the gas is at this price, um, they're going to have to shut down. Um, they just won't be competitive. So then you've got uh, companies like that, like Quinos was another one. They make um, like milk bottles um, where they just can't. They said like at the current gas prices, they can't be competitive. They're looking for the government to kind of fix it. So that means the employees will no longer have a job while the prices are rising. So you know you, you can see the government will just I don't know what it'll be, but some sort of is it UBI or increased dole? You know, yeah. increased demand for the dole. So our tax revenue is going to go down because our industry is slowing down. But our expenses, but our expenses going are going to go up. Yeah. In an environment where, you know, if you've, you've seen the chart of our 10-year Australian sovereign bonds, they're down about 20, 30% already. Mm. You imagine if the tax revenues go down and the expenses go up, government needs to issue more bonds who's gonna supply. who's gonna lend to us right yeah like no right. one's gonna go oh yeah i'd love to lend to australia <laughs> <laughs> based on that so I, i'm i look at this and i'm concerned yeah absolutely. Uh, and I, I don't really see a way out of it because um yeah it takes time for new supply to, to come onto the market mm. so you know if they drill now 
it'll be months, if not years, before that comes onto the market. And really, when we need it is winter. So, you know, ideally, things get better for next winter. Because in summer, there's so much solar now that you can generate, it's, you can get cheaper power in summer. But in winter, there really isn't a good solution. So, mm. yeah. And the, the reason that it comes back to Bitcoin is because obviously with the, the solutions available to the government, it's going to be terrible for the Australian dollar. Yes. So if you're not out of it already, probably a good time to start thinking about how you're saving your money. Very true. I'm always in these moments reminded by uh, or yeah, of Austrian economists, the, uh, I think it's Henry Hazlitt actually, says in the Economics in One Lesson that, you know, every public dollar spent is actually needs to come from private dollars at some point. Yes. At some point being the operative term, because that could be 50 years or 100 years time, some yeah. other generation. But the more we have issues like this that are going to just like spur more money printing, essentially means, yeah, everyone else is going to lose wealth if you're holding in dollars or if you're earning in dollars. And I guess the other part, which comes back to Austrian economics, is the looking at the negative externalities that are like multiple steps on, because most people will look at this and go like, ah, oh, that means my energy prices are going to go up. Yeah. Or maybe I'll, maybe I'll work on the heater as much yeah. this winter, or I'll have to, I don't know, I'll do more work from home, so I don't have yeah. to fill up the car as much. Like people think on those sort of terms. Yeah. But some <laughs> of the things you just mentioned there in terms of, you know, larger, big industry, you know, construction and that sort of thing perhaps not being able to do what they were about to do. Yes. That's going to have like massive societal influences uh, that can kind of delay our progress just as like as a human race, as a society in Australia yeah. specifically <laughs> for the next five years, 10 years. Like, and it's hard to catch those things up. Like once you have a delay like that, it's not like you just say like, oh, well, we'll make that up in 10 years when we go through a boom time again. Yeah. We might not. We yeah, might we always might be not. behind the eight ball, which means we're sort of, we lose out on human development by having issues like this come up. But our brains don't sort of think that far. No. We just look at like, well, what am I going to do with my electricity bill or my gas bill? Uh, but yeah, this has like far-reaching effects that are, you know, multiple steps down the line, which then have further far-reaching effects, like multiple steps down the line from there. And it's hard to fathom, really. And it's concerning that, um, you know, like almost all the other, uh, interviews that I read, people, you know, they, the government and the regulator need to do something. Like they want we central, need central planning. planning we need more central planning. Central planning <laughs> and what did the central planning do? They cap the price, which creates shortages. Yeah. The only way to fix this is to allow people to invest in natural gas and oil companies to um, to drill um, and get more supply. That's the only way. Yeah. And, um, and it is a, it's possibly a controversial thing to say that because it's not, you know, along the green agenda. But in winter, there's no other way to get power. That was actually the other point that I was going to make is that central planning has probably led to this point by yes. pushing a narrative like ESG and saying we need to keep going into renewables and we need to forego this sort of like dirty uh, energy of like natural gas or coal yep. when technically they're much more reliable, arguably would be cheaper in the long run and we would have less crises like this. Yep. But central planning has got us to this point. But you're right, people cry out, we need more regulation, we need more central planning to fix this. We need to like fire up the money printer harder. We need to have more yep. policies <laughs> that, that push us in the, in quotations, right direction you know because you sort of you look back at the ussr you know soviet era and you sort of laugh at the you know, the ladder and even like the cars that they were producing yeah i tell you what i don't think we're that far off we were in heading in that direction you know the cup everyone wants central planning and the central planners feel like it's their need to actually fix it mm. and the thing that they do is make it worse it's just this yeah this cyclical loop basically decisions leading to poor outcomes poor outcomes leading to just this natural oh well we should have more decision making power then decisions lead to poor yeah. outcomes and we just kind of go round and round the thing that is like epiphanous is that the right word like we have an epiphany basically is that like energy and power is such a an unspoken untalked about thing for the vast majority of people like we take it for granted yes I guess, to say it yeah. in other words until things like this happen it's yeah. like people's like how could this possibly happen like mm. well if you just look at the way we've invested yeah if you look at the way that policies have pushed us to invest it just makes total sense that this would happen but of course when we don't have 
this part of our conversation every day, it makes sense for it to blindside people. Same as the money, you know, eventually, like inflation is already becoming a conversation point for a lot of people that I would say would never have talked about it previously. And I think in like six to 12 months, it's going to be even more of a conversation point. Yeah. Like the conversation about money, yes. you know, the financial system. These are these things that are just go like unspoken, uh, taken for granted until until shit hits the fan, really. Yeah. And so it's sort of, yeah, it's an epiphany to me because I've never really paid much attention to power or energy until getting into Bitcoin yeah. and realizing the how revolutionary it can be if we harness it properly. And also the fact that we're misallocating into, you know, unreliable energies. So hopefully the silver lining of this kind of storm that people are facing is that it does maybe wake some people up to the fact that these are some really important topics like money, not greedy to think about money and what is money and to, yeah. to try to like secure your money in future from someone else um, and things like energy and power uh, and where it comes from and what you use it for. Like these are, I think, very relevant conversations that people have not wanted to or not thought they needed to think about and have for, uh, for the last couple of decades. Yeah, I mean, as modern humans, we need energy to live, mm. to live our lives. Um, you know, like if you try and do it without, you know, dense energy fuel sources, you, you realize that you've got, you know, like a, an axe and some timber to cut down. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's it's a different world. We couldn't yeah. be sitting here working. We'd have to go out and cut down wood. And that's right. You know, like the, the energy allows us to to not spend that much time surviving. So yeah, unfortunately, it seems to take a crisis for us to actually change the way that we act. But if energy is a very interesting topic, but there's one thing that I think is really important for people to understand is there's a concept called energy return on energy invested. Mm. So it takes energy to get energy. Yes. So like if you go to the, the forest and cut it tree down and you got to transfer energy to do that and someone's got to make the axe to cut the tree down with and Correct. all that sort of stuff. So yeah. there's a metric which is energy return on energy invested. If you um, use solar power or wind like renewables and you back them up properly, which otherwise they don't work, yeah. the re energy return is like three to five, I think. Mm. Um, oil and gas is about 30 mm. and nuclear power is 100. Yeah. You know, so like, and everyone hates nuclear. <laughs> hate it. But like that is the ultimate solution. I think it's probably 10 years till we get there. Yeah. But that's really where we need to get to is actually nuclear power. Uh, and we have uranium in Australia. So, um, but it's, it's a very interesting topic um, and worth digging into. And I, and it, like me, I got into uh, energy because of um, Bitcoin podcasts and mining and so on and, mm. and just found it very interesting. And it's just one of those complex areas where if you look into it, you can see a very different picture to the narrative. Yes. And uh, I think like with the inflation, I think we'll see the energy narrative changing um, in, the, in the near future pretty soon, I think, actually. Hopefully so, because there's just so many myths, really, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, and just misinformation, really, either by by design or it just becomes a runaway train, a cultural runaway train that it gets sort of bamboozled with more moral arguments than uh, arguments based in fact or yeah. based in, I guess, history rather than looking at projective models, which are not very accurate. Sometimes it's better to look at our history and say, well, what have we been able to accomplish and therefore what should we be focused on? rather than kind of gambling on on new types of energy sources that um, well, that we're finding out now are not that reliable. Yeah, well, I mean, people knew, but <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> everyone true, yeah. else is finding it out. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think, um, I mean, I'd like to say Bitcoin shines a lot in all these things, and it kind of does. It lets you put it into context, but I guess, yeah, you're right. It's like a crisis that shines the light on, on misallocation, basically. Like, you can only uh, sort of shirk reality so much with... Um, with fake money and bad policy decisions and bad investments, but eventually it's going to slap you, um, yeah. give you a dose of reality again. And I think that the path to um, <clears throat> the world that we hope that was going to happen, you know, like a Bitcoin standard type world, 
there's going to be some pain on the way to that path, unfortunately. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Uh, and that's the way that people do wake up and decide to do things differently. So that's the, again, the silver lining, I think, you know, anytime you go through a storm, you have some sort of reform that comes afterwards and then things are a bit more reliable. You have a bit more of a consensus in terms of what to focus on. So yeah, fingers crossed when that happens. Yeah. So if you can <laughs> fix your gas or electricity, uh, have a look at it, what, I, what I'd say, urgently, because you might find that those offers are taken off the table. That's it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Well, look, that's pretty much all the news that we had for today. Again, uh, some energy focus, some uh, inflation uh, focus, and some good Bitcoin adoption news in regards to states and institutions, and uh, some, I guess, dicey Bitcoin news in regards to Bitcoin mining. But we'll see how that all shapes up over time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy. No worries. And until next time.